What's good, Crypto Ballers? Money1834 here. Thanks for checking out another new episode of Crypto Ballers. We have a very special podcast lined up for you today. I'm joined by special guest Aaron Brunstetter to talk all things UFC, Panini America. We talk NBA Top Shot as well, and we had a very nice conversation about NFTs in general. So before we get into that awesome conversation, I got to apologize for my audio quality during our conversation apparently my software had an update that i didn't know about so my audio came in a bit spotty so my apologies for that hopefully it doesn't distract you too much from our compelling conversation cue the music let's get right into it enjoy the show and i will talk to you guys again on wednesday just hit a button morty give me a beat oh man okay all right um What's good, Crypto Ballers? Money1834 checking in on Monday, August 16th. And today we have a very special episode of Crypto Ballers. I am joined by the man himself, expert at everything UFC, Aaron Bronstetter. Aaron, what is going on, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm enthusiastic about the NFT space. And of course, with the, it branching into the UFC, which is my wheelhouse, it's uh, a good fit. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on because really the community has been clamoring about bringing on somebody that actually knows UFC. Uh, I've been tr- I've been covering it over the over the course of a couple podcasts now, but man, like I'm just I'm I'm not informed enough. I struggle with the last names, as people will tell you. Um, I've been meaning to try to get back into UFC. I'm kind of using the Panini NFT space as a means to get back into the sport itself. So I think I speak for the whole community out there when I say. Uh, you're very welcome, and thank you for going to be shedding some knowledge on the UFC with us today. Well, you know, it's funny. I was a big hoop head. Uh, I wanted to cover basketball when I was in, uh, in university and, and even before that. That was my goal was to be a basketball journalist or broadcaster. And uh, once I discovered mixed martial arts and, you know, I fell in love with that sport, all of my focus went towards that uh, when I started covering this sport. And I, I kind of fell off on basketball. And then once I got into NBA Top Shot, it helped me kind of, kind of bring me back in to basketball, learn about a lot of the up-and-coming players because you're watching all of these different players almost as if they're stocks uh, on Top Shot, and you're trying to make sure that you're getting the right ones. You're trying to work through that space. So that, that was really helpful to me to get back into basketball. So hopefully this uh, will bring you back into uh, the UFC realm. I hope so. As, as we were talking uh, a while back on Twitter, my experience level with the UFC – is I think the last time I actually watched it uh, fairly regularly was like if either Brock Lesnar or fucking Kimbo Slice was fighting. Like, I like it goes way back. I haven't followed the sport for for a long time, to say the least. Um, I will say though. So before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners out there? Tell them you know like what you do like with the UFC and just you know the stuff that you got going on. Yeah, so I cover the UFC and and mixed martial arts as a whole for TSN, which is Canada's uh espn affiliate so i uh, i cover the sport i go to a lot of ufc events and cover them on site unfortunately during the pandemic i haven't had a chance to travel but i'm hoping to get back on the road very soon uh, and start covering things on site but uh, yeah it's my full-time job is covering mixed martial arts i do a weekly podcast 
Uh, it's actually uh, bi-weekly. So one's uh, the interview edition where I'm interviewing different uh, people in the MMA space. And then uh, the other one is a, a talk version with myself and uh, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who is the uh, color commentator for Glory Kickboxing. We do a, an MMA uh, topic-driven show. So that, that's what I do on a weekly basis. And then I'm doing all, all kinds of different interviews for our website, tsn.ca slash UFC, uh, where I'm interviewing all of the different fighters and, and things like that. So um, this is, this is my, my sole focus is covering these martial arts and I, I love it. It's an awesome job. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, I just love the sport. I love covering it and being around it. Yeah. I, I saw on Twitter, you had an interview with Dana White and I was like, holy shit, like what a pull that is. Like, I'm not, I'm not overly familiar with the UFC, but I, I know who Dana White is. Yeah, of course. You know, I get to speak with Dana, uh, before every pay-per-view. So I'm always really happy about that. He's my favorite guy to interview because I find it to be such a challenge. You know, I, I always am trying to come up with ways to ask him questions where I can get the most information possible, uh, and ask it in a u- unique way with a, a different flavor than other people are asking him questions to try to, uh, learn more. And, uh, I always approach it really from a place of curiosity, which I, I think is vital to getting a good interview. Yeah, no, that's good. And I'm actually going to exercise some of those, uh, traits that you use. I'm going to be doing that on you today to get the most answers out of you because we need some help over here trying to figure out this UFC game. But before we get into the octagon, I want to bring it to the hardwood first because you're on NBA Top Shot. You mentioned you mentioned it just a moment ago that you that's it's helped you get reacclimated to the sport getting into NBA Top Shot. So, what was your introduction like to NBA Top Shot? How did you find out about the platform and what made you decide to make an account? So, I saw a lot of people talking about it online and that they were you know, a lot of people that I trusted that were getting into it kind of in, in an early part of it. It was February of this year when the market was getting red hot. Yeah. So um, I, I managed to luck out when I first got on and I, w- I was able to get two packs out of like the, the first four queues that I was in. Uh, oh, one wow. of which was an MGLE series. I got an, an MGLE series Andre Drummond, which I held on for two for far too long. And uh, <laughs> I got a, uh, a base pack. And um, I, w- I was shocked at how much money I was able to make off of these moments when i first got them they were selling for so much and uh it was just the return was so huge on these that uh i was i was amazed i should have known at the time that i wasn't going to be able to maintain that kind of upside because you were making like 20 times the amount you were putting in so that was a a good way to get started on top shot and i I got in at a really good time and uh, i've stuck with it and i've done a lot of the challenges i've done um you know i've I've done a lot of uh, buying selling and I think my marketplace, uh, my number of money of dollars spent on the marketplace is probably $6,000, something along those lines. And a lot of that is just from those first couple packs that I got because I was able to build a lot of equity in my Top Shot account and use that for in the long term. Yeah, it's, it's nice and it's reassuring and refreshing to hear that you got in when the platform was like really taking off, like when it's at its peak. And you've been slumming through the drought just like the, the rest of us, but you haven't left. Which, you know, shouts to you for doing that, because a lot of people, when they saw the prices of all their stuff dropping, some people just couldn't handle it. They had to, you know, sell their shit and then just get out of Dodge. So it's nice to hear that, like, you're still in here slumming it with us, trying to hope that the platform comes back. Because I got in in January and it's just a night and day difference from then and where it is now. Like you said, you held on to your drumming for way too long and the price dropped. I had I had similar things happen, unfortunately. Um I mean, one that really stuck out to me is I got a, a Luka Doncic all-star game from that all-star game pack. And as soon, yeah. soon as I got it, that thing hit the marketplace. It was also featured. It wasn't even featured in a challenge yet at the time. It hit the marketplace at 3.8K, $3,800. 
off a $200 pack. I was so excited, but in my head, because I went and I looked at the marketplace, I did my due diligence, right? I did my research. I saw that like the cool cats, Luka Doncic was going for uh, like upwards of nine, 10K and other Luka Doncic moments that were rares around that same serial number were going for around double digit thousands of dollars. I was like, 3.8K, that's not enough. I got I to gotta hold it. And now I'm sitting here today and that very same Luka Doncic is going for about 220 bucks. So I bought one for six. So I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> I, I bought one for, I think it was like six or 650. And uh, yeah, it, that didn't go too well. Yeah, I, not the, yeah. I've done well on some and I've done poorly on some. And that's just, it, that's kind of how it is. Yeah, that's the name of the game, especially in the NFT space today. It is, it's the wild, wild west out there. It is crazy. Now, another question for you, Top Shot related, is what is your current favorite moment in your collection today? If you had to pick one that was like your prized possession, which would it be? That's easy. It's my quad badge, Anthony Edwards. Um, I'm hanging on to that one long term and, uh, and hoping that, that that does well. I bought it at like $230, which is really low. It's, it's worth about five now. So yep. that was one of the more recent ones that I actually did well on. Um, because it seems like when you were buying them, they were almost always going down at a time. And now it seems like it's starting to rebound a little bit. So uh, that, that's, that, that's the one I'm going to hang on to. I keep wanting to sell it because I'm like, oh, I can double my money and maybe it'll dip again and I can buy it then. But then, you know what? I'm just going to hang on to it and, uh, and, and hope for the best and hope that this thing sticks around long term. But I'm really, really encouraged by all of the different activations they've been doing, um, how they've been able to um, do things that allow people to get more invested and more involved in the NBA with like just the, the various utility that they're putting forward is really encouraging to me. And uh, it's also really encouraging for when the UFC eventually launched theirs with Dapper Labs because I think that that's going to be a major part of it is, is seeing the utility of, of the moments and, and how you're able to interact with the, uh, the league. Yeah, no, NBA Top Shot has been on point with their, uh, with their you know, real-life perks that they have. Like, I mean, they sent people to the NBA Finals, which is amazing. And then they doubled back with, you know, sending people to the draft, which, again, is a fantastic event. And then they are just coming up sending people to the Summer League. So the the real life utility of what Top Shot is doing, it just I feel like it's setting the bar really high for other sports to come in. So I'm hoping that the other sports can kind of match that because the real life utility that's like that that's like not to sound corny or anything, but that's like life changing stuff. Like if you could get flown out for free to go to the NBA Finals, I mean, how many people can even say that they've gone to the NBA Finals before? And you could do it just from collecting digital moments of of the team or players, like. I find that stuff astonishing and I'm, I'm really excited to see um, like what comes with, you know, if the UFC follows suit, or, you know, the NFL is going to be getting into the NFT space very soon. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what these other sports do uh, to kind of follow the leader, which, you know, Top Shot was the first one. Yeah. And I think when you see what they did at Vegas summer league, where you go in and you get a pack and you know what that, that moment's going to be in the pack, you just get a number. I think we're really going to start seeing a lot of that at NBA games where top shot will have a little kiosk set up. And then if you're at that game, like let's say I'm at a Raptors game and I'm going to get like a, a Scotty Barnes, that's exclusive to just that game. You can basically pay for your ticket to the basketball game with one of those. Like if, if you're, if you're one of, I don't know, 2,800 people to own a Scotty Barnes moment from that game. Um, and only the people that were at that game are able to own it. Like you immediately have something that is, um, unique. And I think that that's where we're going to start seeing these different NFTs go. I think that we'll see that at UFC events too, when they launch UFC strike, I know that was the tentative title. I don't know if that's what they're sticking with, but if, if they launch UFC strike and you you're at like UFC, whatever, down the road, uh, you know, 289 or something, and you can get a specific 
UFC moment from that event. Like, I think that, that that's going to be huge. Yeah, uh, not only will it be huge, but I mean, just in terms of the utility aspect of you kind of have even more incentive to go to the games. Because I can only speak for myself here. I can't speak for you. But when it comes to like a basketball game, like going to a basketball game or going to a football game, some sports are just kind of better to watch at home. Like some of them are just totally cool chilling on the couch. Um, but now, like you said, you can essentially pay for your ticket or at least a chunk of it by going to these kiosks that are at stadiums. I know I already mentioned the NBA top shot that like they need to get a kiosk in the TD garden, which is the Boston Celtics play. I was like, if, if you guys have a kiosk over there, I'm going to try to go as my animals chase each other. I'm going to try to go to as many games as possible because you know, you can, you can collect and just, it feels like I'll have even more of a sentimental value to it. Cause it's like, I was at that game when player X did this. And now I own that exact moment that the only way you could have got it is being at the arena that night. I mean, unless you bought it in the marketplace, but let I me mean, let's be let's be real. You're going to pay a lot more for it in the marketplace. And it's a good way to get new users on board. Like if I was at a, a summer league game and I hadn't heard of Top Shot, and I paid five bucks for one of these moments, and now it's worth ninety bucks, like that's cool. Like you know, like I, I'd be in. I, I think that that's a good way to get people on board. Yeah, because why wouldn't you want to explore that space more? If it's like, oh, what is this? Oh, it's a cool digital clip. Like let me get it because they were selling the, the packs over there for five bucks. It was five bucks a pack, and you you knew what you got. You got one of whatever that feature player was going to be, and then you could take that five dollars. You could flip it into the RJ Hampton was going for eighty dollars last I checked. You make a seventy five dollar profit just for you know checking it out, and then the kiosk. I'm sure you saw the pictures on Twitter, but the kiosk, the whole setup over there, all the neon lights and the music, and it just looked like something where if I was walking by and I had no idea what the space was, I definitely would have stopped by because I'd be like, all right, what the hell is this? Yeah, and if you buy ten packs, now you're up seven hundred and fifty thousand or seven hundred and fifty, not thousand, seven hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> seven hundred fifty thousand dollars would be dope, but seven hundred and fifty dollars uh, right away, which is cool. I mean, and I think that that's a good entry level uh, for somebody to get in. Like, if you if you're spending fifty bucks and you're making seven hundred and fifty bucks right there, and you can now play with that money on the platform, or you can withdraw it, whatever you want. Like, I think that that is a good incentive for people to get involved with your product. Yeah, absolutely. I know on the last podcast that we did, I was mentioning how you could have paid for your round trip to Vegas if you would have bought 10 packs of each of the three uh, moments that dropped. Like you could have paid for your whole stay over there in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. that, that's the profit margin. Yeah, so absolutely crazy stuff. All right, last NBA question, and then we're going to strap up and get ready to go into the octagon. Or the last time I was in there, I got my ass kicked, so I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> um, as a Raptors fan... Are you bummed at all to see Kyle Lowry leave? I'm not at all. You know, I, I, I like Kyle Lowry. He's the groat, as we call him, the greatest Raptor of all time. And um, he, uh, he did so much for the city. And you know what? At this point in time, I don't think that we're in title contention. I think that trading to a team like the Heat, you're doing right by Kyle. You're, you're getting Kyle to a, a better uh, opportunity. I mean, he also gets to go to Miami, which, you know, I've, I go to Miami once a year. And uh, believe me, it's nice, nice to be there. It's not, not that Toronto is not a great city, but Miami is a, a fun city to be in. And, um, you know, on top of that, we ended up getting good value for him. I think uh, Goran Dragic is a, an awesome player. And when you think about how Lowry was so instrumental to getting the Raptors to the finals and to the championship, Goran Dragic, I think, was the best player on that Heat team in the playoffs, at least, when they, when they made it to the finals. Like, he was on fire. I still think that Dragic has a lot left in the tank. And then we got uh, Precious Achua. Is that how you pronounce his name? Again, I, your pronunciations of UFC is like my pronunciations of some of these newer NBA players. But Precious Achua is a good, a good prospect that Masai seems to really like. And, you know, 
Kyle was going to walk in free agency, honestly. Yeah, I don't think he was coming back regardless. So to get that kind of value back for him, I thought that everybody really won in that situation. I thought Kyle won because he got to go to a good situation. We put him in a spot to succeed. And I think the Raptors uh, ended up getting some really nice pieces in, in exchange for something that they could have lost for essentially nothing. So um, I, I'm just happy with that whole situation. I'm, I'm happy that Kyle's happy. I'm happy the Raptors are happy. And I, I, I like the, the return that we got on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. With I feel like uh, like the whole country of Canada was kind of, they felt a way about uh, when they sent DeRozan off. And like I feel like DeMar DeRozan was just such a big piece of like the Toronto culture over there. And then now that Kyle Lowry is leaving, like you guys get a good package in return. I think it's fine. But uh, I was just like, wow, like I can't even imagine like being a Raptors fan. Like you just you won a championship a couple of years ago and then Kawhi leaves. Now Lowry's gone. DeRozan been gone. It's like it's, I feel like it's time for a rebuild. And Precious Achua is a really good, nice young building block. So I think you guys did there. Now, there was talk. And this wasn't even one of the questions I had for you, but. There was talk about uh, you guys moving on from Pascal Siakam. I think Siakam is the best player on your team. I like Siakam a lot. But there was a lot of talks that he could possibly be traded to the Warriors for James Wiseman. Now, I'm a Wiseman fan. I'm a Boston Celtics fan at first, but I, I really do like James Wiseman. And as a Celtics fan, I can't be a big Raptors fan, okay, especially after that brutal seven-game series that they had a couple of years ago. Um, so... When you think about it, would you rather have kept Pascal Siakam, or do you think you guys should have made the move for James Wiseman? Well, today they came out and said that they're going to hang on to Siakam. Um, I think that's the right move right now. I don't think his stock is as high as it could be. I think Masai knows that. Um, and it's one of those situations like with, with Ben Simmons. They're asking for an outrageous amount of return for Ben Simmons, but they know that Ben Simmons right now is at a very low point. They're not going to settle for a low return for a guy like Ben Simmons, who could easily turn it around next year and become a far more valuable player. You don't want to trade low. And Masai is not about trading low unless it's somebody who's got a real chemistry issue. And that's not Siakam. Siakam wants to stay in Toronto. Uh, but I think the Raptors on like the, the first day of the season, like I'm setting the over under at nine and a half players that they have that are between six, seven and six, nine in height. Like they're going to have like 10 dudes on the team that are like these rangy guys that can cover and play all five positions. And uh, I think that's kind of interesting that, that that's the direction they're going in because I, I can't name all of them off the top of my head, but you, I mean, you've got, you've got Siakam, you've got Scotty Barnes. Now um, you've got uh, Watanabe. Like you've got all these guys that are, are in this range of height. Like, I think that's the tallest guy on their team. It's like probably six, nine, six, ten, And uh, they just re-signed Ken Birch. Like he's a six, nine guy. Like it's just interesting to see how they're putting this team together. I think Masai is trying to see what he's trying to look three years ahead at, at the direction the NBA is going to go. And like we saw what Golden State did it was very shooting heavy, very offense heavy. I think that Masai is probably projecting that the NBA is going to have all these versatile guys running around and he wants to get in early. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I feel like the Celtics have been doing something similar where they started loading up on like these big wings. Like you got Jason Tatum, who's about 6'10 mm -hmm. now. You got Jalen Brown, who's 6'7. And you just try to get long, lengthy, like nasty defenders that can all shoot and just try to build with some size. So I feel like Toronto's kind of doing a similar thing. Um, yeah, so good stuff on the NBA, but you're here for the UFC, my friend. So are you ready to get into the octagon? And, you know, I, I have some questions that myself and I know everyone at Panini America, all the collectors over there, uh, they, frankly, they, they want some guidance. So I got some questions here and are you ready to answer them for me? 
Yeah, let's do it. And I was hoping that the first time I'd be on your show would be to talk about their Dapper platform, but I think that's coming in a couple months. But, but I, I just got more familiarized with the Panini platform recently. I bought one of the, some of those NBA-based packs to just kind of see what it was all about and bought, the, bought a bunch of NBA, or sorry, UFC packs. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm curious because right now I like, I just don't see any sort of point of selling them. I think that this is one of those holding situations, but I'll, I'll let you ask the questions. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up the Dapper Labs thing. I do have that. So we will get to that point, but, but we're going to, we're going to start, we're going to kind of build gradually in difficulty. We're going to start off easier and then we're going to get to more where it's going to like require a little more thought, which is going to be the Dapper question. So let's start off here. And myself and plenty of others out there, we're, we're pretty new to the UFC or we're just getting back into it. There's a lot of weekend warriors who catch a pay-per-view every now and then, usually starring Conor McGregor, right? Everyone knows who he is. Um, who are some locked and loaded stars that we should be keeping an eye out for in packs in the marketplace? So give us some names of people where you pull a pack. You might not necessarily know who it is, but if you see the name, it should register. Like, okay, this is a guy I should be holding. I think your two blue chippers are Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov. I think those two are the ones where you're like, you, you've, you've done well. Like if you're plus EV, if you've gotten either of those two guys in one of your packs. Um, and then from there, I think there's a lot of tier two, a lot of tier three. And then there are a lot of people that are probably more of the common variety. Okay. Um, so I think those are the two names you really want. And, and then I think there's also the kind of older stars. Um, you got your Brock Lesnar's, your George St. Pierre's, your Chuck Liddell's. Those are the ones that I think you're starting to, and I think Lesnar might creep into that top tier, but I think that that's where you start getting into your second tier. A lot of the kind of older stars and some of the more current stars. Yeah. And I'm truly jealous of the way you just pronounced Khabib's name so fast and fluently like that. I, I struggle so hard with that dude's last name that I feel like I made it. So I'm on a first name basis with him. Anytime I talk about him, he's just Khabib now. So I, I gave up. On, that's, that's how a lot of people call him. So don't worry about that. I, I gave up on the last name entirely. Now, if you want to, if you want to talk Conor McGregor, I could do that all day because you know the easy name, and I'm very familiar with him. But anybody else is difficult. So the way that you just fired off Khabib like that, like my mind is like fucking sparking right now. I was like, holy shit! That was <laughs> because I feel like when I pronounced it, I wasn't even close to that. I don't even think I came close. All right, uh, all right. Next question is: In every sport, there's guys that maybe didn't make the transformation to stardom yet. So who are some prospects you believe in that one day in the octagon, they could become big time and we could, we should probably be looking out for in the marketplace to get on the cheap right now. So who's some like high prospects, some guys that you like? Well, let's go division by division. So at heavyweight, you got Cyril gone. He just won the interim heavyweight title and uh, he's an undefeated uh, fighter. In fact, he has not lost a round yet in the UFC. Uh, he's been in the UFC for about two years and he's already in two years made his way to the championship level. It seems like a lot of people are already um, hip to Cyril Gan. People are buying uh, his moments or his cards, rather. I'm going to get confused with my Panini and, and Dapper like you do all the time. Do it all but, the uh, time. People are, <laughs> people are buying his cards right now. Um, I think he's a guy that you want to get in on the ground floor of because he could be a champion for a long time um, if he's able to beat uh, Francis Ngannou, who's the current champion, and that's going to be an, uh, an interesting one. He's actually favored to beat Francis um, and then in the light heavyweight division, I'm really high on uh, Magomed Ankalaev. He's a, a Dagestani uh, fighter who I think is going to be the champion of that division one day. And I think you can get a lot of his moments really, or his cards rather really cheap right now. He's got uh, a tie-dye card and you can probably get that sub $30. So I think that, you know, if, if you were looking at the packs and they were $49 and you can get his um, card in particular for under 30 bucks, I think that's a, a wise move. Um, 
middleweight division. I mean, the champion is one of those tier two stars right now, Israel Adesanya, and uh, his his cards are going for uh, a good chunk right now. He he might even be creeping into that tier one as well. Um, and but at, at middleweight, I don't see a lot of people right now that are, are going to have a ton of value. I think Darren Till, because of his popularity in the UK and how that's kind of gone outside of that realm, he's somebody you can look at in the middleweight division. Um, I think that might be a, a good uh, a good person to start with if you're looking for some value. I don't know what his uh, cards are going for. Um, then you've got uh, the welterweight division. Uh, welterweight division right now, Kamaru Usman has kind of been beating everybody in this division. His cards you can get at a pretty good uh, price right now. And then Colby Covington is facing him next. Colby Covington, you can get some of his cards at a good price as well. And I think that he's going to be very competitive with Usman. And if anybody in this division can beat Usman, it's, it's Colby Covington. So he's somebody you look at at welterweight. Uh, lightweight was surprising to me because the, the cards that I've spent the most on so far are Charles Oliveira tie-dyes. I've been able to get three Charles Oliveira tie-dyes for under $20, and he's the champion. And the lightweight division is widely considered to be the most difficult division to become a champion in. So I'm not going to go with the prospect here at lightweight. I'm just going to say get the champs cards because the champ right now, you can get his cards again. Like if the packs are $49 to get tie-dyes and you can get his, I've got one of his at 13, one of his at, uh, and I think maybe two of his at 18, somewhere in that range. I bought those right away. I saw them at buy it now and I just, I didn't bid on them. I just bought them. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's who I've spent the most on so far because I was just so surprised that a guy as good as Charles Oliveira, all-time submission record, uh, holder in UFC history. Guy's on an absolute tear right now. He's made, become a champion of, again, I think the toughest division to become champion since Khabib has retired. Charles Oliveira, Charles Oliveira look out for his um, his cards. Um, and Dustin Poirier, I think, is going to give him a run when, when he eventually faces him as well. And Justin Gaethje's cards are, are selling for uh, not that expensive either. And he's somebody that I I'm I have a lot of high hopes can become a champion one day. Yeah, see, that's um, a great... Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so uh, I was going to say it's that list. I'm over here trying to, like, put bookmarks on the Panini America website of, like, all these fighters so I can go back and, like, double-check their their cards later. Because, like you said, I feel like if your name is not Khabib or Conor McGregor, everyone else is just, like, very undervalued. And there could be because Panini America is so new into the NFT space. Like, their basketball chain started, I think, six weeks ago, if that, and then UFC just started a couple weeks ago. So they're so new into the space that I feel like people aren't people aren't ready to dive in and truly commit yet. But we've seen this before, right? It happened with NBA Top Shot. When Top Shot launched, all their Series 1 stuff was going for pennies on the dollar. People weren't really investing because they weren't sure about the space yet. And if you didn't heavily invest back then, you're probably kicking yourself in the ass today. So names like that that you just dropped are definitely worth checking out on Panini America because it's not just one. There's two different ways you can go about collecting it, right, acquiring it. You can either go into the public auction house, or you can probably get those guys for very cheap, or you can go into the public gallery. You can just search up and make an offer or just, you know, buy at the lowest buy it now price. So I'm definitely going to be doing my homework, going back and checking in on all those guys you just dropped because um, myself and I feel like a lot of the community out there were kind of in the dark with some of the, some of those other names that you dropped. So there's definitely some good information. So you guys listening at home, make sure you're going and looking up these guys because uh, it could be really smart investments for the future if the Panini America NFT line continues to grow. Now, I've worked with Panini America in the past. I'm very confident that their platform will continue to scale and grow as we go. They've already mentioned uh, about adding some form of animation 
to cars. They talked about uh, real life utility, kind of like what Top Shot did with the the finals and the summer league stuff. Canadian America have said that they're planning on doing some, adding some utility like that in the future as well. So I feel like the Panini America project right now, their NFT line, I feel like it's just taking off. It's just starting to gain traction. So definitely go and grab some of those names on the cheap when you can. Like what you did when you collected the same guy multiple times. You know, in months down the road, the price you could make like 10, 15, 20x of what your investment was, which I mean, I think we'd all like, like a little extra cash, right? Yeah. And I'm looking at the tie dyes. I think if you've got things that are limited to 50 or 49, rather, like that's a really, really, you know, rare commodity to have if you're getting in on the grand level. I think that that's something you got to look at. Um, and I think you can still get a lot of different tie dyes for under 15 bucks. And I think that that's, again, if the packs are $49, I think you're getting a good price. Like you can, you can basically build a tie dye pack for way less than that. Now, of course the higher end tie dyes are going to cost you a lot more than $49, but it's not even that much more. So, I mean, just keep, keep your eye open on the public gallery and, and the auctions. And I mean, I'm not as sold on Panini as I am on Dapper just yet. I think that they have a long way to go in terms of building a, a, a user-friendly platform. Their, uh, their app I find to be buggy. I still think that there's a, there's a lot that they can improve on. And I'm hoping that those improvements come over time. Because, uh, you know, right now, I'm just in a position where I don't know the value of any of these cars that I have. I don't know. I think that it's so new and there's not enough data out there that would make me comfortable enough to sell something outside of a challenge card. If I, if I know I'm not going to finish a challenge, maybe I'll, get, I'll sell a, a challenge card and, and try to get, that, um, get some money out of that now. But I think that that's the way, the direction I'm going in right now. My strategy is just looking for good tie-dye prices for people that I think have good upside. Um, and if you want to go through the rest of the divisions or we can, we can move on. Oh, we can move on. If you're ready. I, I do think that that's the right strategy to take, right? I mean, flip and make some profits on challenges that you're not going to complete, you know, put some money back in your pocket and then look to reinvest some money and grab some people that are like really rare cards and could have really nice longevity if the platform continues to grow. Um, but no, I agree with you though. The Dapper, when Dapper drops their, like their video clip type NFT format, I, I mean, again, I think Panini and Dapper, I think that they can coexist in the NFT space. There, There's enough different uh, differentiators there to make it so you can go after both. Um, but since Dapper Labs got brought up, I think we get into it now. So later this year, Dapper Labs project with UFC is supposed to be dropping. And we are familiar with the NBA Top Shot already. So what are your thoughts on having a video highlight moment? And what's your excitement level towards that that potential project as opposed to the Panini America, you mentioned how Panini has some bugs. They're so new. They got to work some stuff out. Um, like where's your gauge your interest level on what a video clip type NFT could mean for the UFC. You think more people would be interested in that form? I would think so. And um, I'm a lot more excited about that than Panini's because Panini's kind of came out of nowhere and I'm so much more familiar with the NBA Top Shot platform that I know it's a platform that works. I know it's a data driven platform. There's so much like any, any, information you want on a top shot moment you can find immediately and uh i just think that it's more of a of a stock market type platform rather than paninis i think is more of a collectible platform i think that that's it's more geared towards that whereas i think the uh the top shot platform operates more like a stock market which i think is really cool um and i th- i'm really excited about the ufc entering that space i think there's going to be a lot of utility with the dapper labs uh ufc uh, platform whenever that launches i'm going to be really in on that early uh, i think that that's going to have a lot of upside seeing how dapper has 
you know, managed through a lot of the issues they've had with NBA Top Shot and what they've done um, along the way. I'm confident that they have uh, a really good team behind them. Uh, up in up in Vancouver in Canada, you know, we got we got some some sharp people up here north of the border. So uh, I think that uh, I think that what Dapper is doing is very interesting. I think the NFT space is growing, and I think that um, as long as you're not too invested in it and you want to just do it as a hobby, I think that you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. I think once you get really invested and once you get really into it, unless you've got money that you're you're okay losing on it, I think I you know I would proceed with some caution. I, I would proceed with some caution. With any of these, I I don't know what the long term potential is. This is this is in its absolute embryonic phase in terms of where NFTs and sports digital collectibles are going to go. Um, and I know a lot of different athletes are putting out their own sports collectibles. I'm a lot more confident going in with a big company like Dapper or Panini, knowing that they've got all their eggs in that basket. Because if you're an athlete and you put out an NFT and it gets out there and someone buys it, like that's kind of it, right? Like you're just kind of waiting to see what happens with it. Whereas I think with the amount of uh, digital collectibles that are coming out on all of these different platforms, you can kind of gauge where it's going. And I think that that is, um, that's what's exciting about the UFC's new platform for, for Dapper. I think that it's going to be cool to get in on the ground floor of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I know day one, I'll, I'll be there for that Dapper project as well. Uh, anything Dapper does, uh, just like Panini America, anything Panini drops, then I'll be in on. When the UFC announced that they were going to, that, that partnership and that the packs were already here, not being the biggest UFC guy in the world, I, I max bought as many packs as I could just because I trust the platform and I understand the concept of the digital trading cards and the auction block and the public gallery. Like I got all that. It's just I was having some semblance of difficulty putting price values on the names for different reasons than yourself. Right. My problem was that I wasn't really up to date on who the fighters were. So I had no idea what was a good offer and what was a bad offer if I had them visible in the public gallery. You had a harder time because the data is just not there yet. And again, that's something I believe will happen and come over time. But the issue, they're so new in the game right now, which leads me right into my next question, actually, is you mentioned how Panini has been a little buggy and like the information hasn't been there. Uh, what are some changes you'd like to see Panini adopt in terms of their NFT platform that you think could build some, uh, make it a little more solid for the future and get some more people on? What are like some changes that or tweaks that you'd like to see? Well, I like to even separate the block, the blockchain from, and the digital collectibles from actual collect, like the the tangible collectibles, the ones you can hold in your hand. I think that you need to, you know, create the kind of separation between those two products because I think they're totally different, um, and it also lowers your barrier of entry because when I open the app, I have to go to the blockchain, I have to go to all the different buttons. Sometimes those buttons are disappearing. That's kind of where I think it's buggy. I'll switch screens and the buttons are just gone, and I have to close the app and reopen it. So that's a, I'm sure that's a bug that they know about, they're working on, but. Um, I just think that right now I'd like to be able to pull up the card that I have, look at all the historical data, what it's been sold for, what numbers, you know, what the numbers that they've sold for are, um, how many bids are coming in the auctions, rather than having to go by individual number, number by number, and look at all the solds and, and things like that. I just wish that the data was kind of compartmentalized into a, a much more user-friendly and easier to access, um, you know, look or or feel so that i i kind of know what i'm dealing with here because right now i can't sell any of these with a clear mind i i, I feel like right now i kind of have to hold and i'm taking a big leap of faith in the hopes that eventually this thing is here to stay that i'm getting it on the ground floor that this is uh something that is going to have long-term value because that's that's basically you're basically you're taking a big leap of faith right now in panini and, and panini is a, a big name in this in the sports collectible space so i'm not as worried about it but I mean, 
I, I do think that we need to see something soon before we start to lose that faith. I, I want to see what's coming up next. I want to, I want to see results because it's kind of, it's a mixed bag. You, you want to kind of, because I was able to buy a tie-dye moment, like a Curtis Blades tie-dye moment for $9. Like $9 doesn't seem like a lot of money for a, a rare slash 49 card. So while I'm glad that I got a good price on it, I'm also worried. Like, is, are other people not seeing the value here? Are other people not willing to dive in to this? Maybe they're just like me. Maybe they're a little bit cautious that, that, about buying right now, not knowing where this is going. Because again, this is the very, and I think that people had the same thing with shot, Top Shot. When they got, got in on Top Shot, people were selling season one moments or series one moments rather for a dollar. And now those series one moments, I think the basement of the series one moment is probably like 30, 35 bucks to yep. get, to get any series one moment. So, but at the time people were a little bit cautious because they don't know what they're getting into here. And I think Panini, you're going to see the same thing. And I think it's going to be big time boomer bust. Like right now I don't have too much money tied into it, but I have money tied into it. And I, you know, that that's something that I, I want to see is going to grow soon. I don't yep. want to have to wait so long for getting some sort of return on this before I lose faith in it. So I I'm waiting to see, I'm taking a very cautious kind of wait and see approach, but when I see my openings, I'm going to take them. And that's kind of the way that I've approached it in the last week. Yeah. So when I, I'm willing to take a leap of faith, when I see people are selling things too low, like if, if I see a slash 49 moment and it's a good fighter, I'm going to pounce on that because I think that even though it's still a risk, like everything right now is a risk. I feel like it's not, not that big of a risk to take for something that, that has a, a big upside. Um, so that's kind of the approach that I'm taking right now. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting concept. And I totally agree when you said that you can go into the marketplace and you can essentially build your own tie-dye pack for less than the pack price itself. And you can go and get the fighters you want. I mean, aside from like the McGregor's and the Khabib's, of course, because those guys, their, their prices are like where they should be. Or they might even be lower than what they should be for who the fighter is. But you can go ahead and you can build your own like a pack for cheaper than the pack price. And yeah, I compare that to throwdowns on Top Shot. Like throwdowns was kind of the same way. Like they were the packs were what one forty nine, I think, yep. or one one ninety nine. You could get like three throwdown moments for that price now and build kind of your own pack. It's like if you missed out on a pack, you could make your own throwdowns pack. And hey, you're maybe not maybe you're getting a, a Nurkic instead of uh, a Zion Williamson, but you're still getting uh, some guys that you can hang on to. Will will up your collector score and things like that. And, uh, that's what I'm curious to see what Panini does. Like you look at things like collector score and you look at these rare moments and you look at what Top Shot has done. Like how much is Panini going to grow into that kind of thing? Or do they just want to kind of make it their own and do it a little bit differently? But uh, right now uh, I'm still trading with some caution here. I'm not sold on, on not just Panini, but NFTs as, as a whole, what's their long-term upside? Like, uh, are we going to be the people that were smart that were like, yeah, a digital collectible is just as cool as having a, a physical collectible. Or are the other people going to be the ones that are smart that are like, hey, if you can't hold it in your hand, it's not worth anything because that could be true too. But I always, you know, I, I mentioned this stuff to my dad. I mentioned like Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency and, and these NFTs to my dad. And he just can't wrap his head around it. He's like, no, I can't hold. I said, dad, how many stocks do you have in your wallet? How many stocks do you, like you buy stocks. How many stocks do you have? In, stocks are, in fact, most money, most currency is something that is just a couple numbers on a screen. That's all it is, right? Everything's going digital. So we, we can embrace that and hope that this ends up being a digital platform that, that sticks around, that NFTs is something that has long-term upside. But I'm not putting too much money into it. I'm putting the amount of money into it that I'm okay losing because I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that the whole thing could go upside down at any point in time. And you got to just accept that and live with it. And you got to think to yourself, it's either going to go way up over time or you're just going to lose everything. And if you're, it's, it's like, if you go to a casino, a lot of people go to a casino and they're like, Hey, I've got 300 bucks in my pocket. When I lose this amount of money, I'm done. But if I turn that into 600 bucks, I'm also done. I'm going to walk away. Yeah. So I kind of take a similar approach to NFTs. 
Yeah, anytime I try to pitch uh, an NBA Top Shot or a Panini NFT, my my go-to strategy, like I tried this on my wife, didn't work. But I tried it on some buddies of mine and and they bought in, is I pitched it the way that you said. I pitched it like stocks. I was like, think of it as stocks, but more on our level where we can understand it. Like, you know which is going to be the hot stock to purchase. You know who has the upside, uh, like, you know, the LeBrons, the Durants, the Currys, and stuff like that. So you already have an idea of which of these, you know, NFT stocks could elevate. And it's more understandable than be like, all right, I'm going to buy X amount of Bitcoin and see what happens, even though I might not even know what a Bitcoin is or a Dogecoin. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's almost like understandable stocks for the sports fan. It's kind of like I want to show you something. So I've got I've got a record here. This is a a Funkadelic record. Okay. so I'm going to pull this out. And this is a company called Vinyl Me Please. They do subscription services. And if you look here, you can see at the bottom corner, the other side, this is like number 003 of 500. Yeah. This is a physical, this is almost a physical version of what we're doing with these, these NFTs, right? Like yeah. you still have it in your hand. It's numbered. You know that how many of them are, exist out in the world and what number you have. So it's still, even though that's a physical product that I can hold in my hand, I can go and listen to on my record player. It's still a very similar concept to what we're doing here with NFTs. Yeah, it's, it's very similar because I know that some people might not trust blockchain, blockchain technology yet where you can see everything encoded and you can track each individual piece of it and you can see who has it, who had it, what it sold and stuff like that. But some people are afraid of like, all right, why if I'm looking at this Conor McGregor UFC Panini NFT, why can't I just fucking screenshot it and crop mm-hmm. it down and then post it on my Twitter and be like, oh, look what I got. And like, who's going to tell you that you're wrong? Well, that's where blockchain comes in because you can actually go in and see. You can be like, all right, I checked your account. You do not right. have that. This yeah, is the I person can go to Google Images that. and take a, a picture of a Honus Wagner card and put it on Twitter and say, look what I just got. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so in terms of, of the record that you just showed where it's number three out of 50, there there isn't a, a blockchain like that where you can go and make sure that, you know, your next door neighbor doesn't have a number three out of 50. So I feel like you right. kind of have to take a leap of faith that the blockchain blockchain technology is like 100% real and authentic and it's you know there's truth to it so that's why I feel like I'm a little bit more willing to jump in on an NFT project now some of these other avatar NFTs are out there I feel like any second now I could check and the price could be zero like it could all just come crashing down right and like you said I agree with you wholeheartedly when it comes to Dapper Labs with Top Shot what they're doing with that and between the America such big organizations I I'm willing to jump in with those two but some like the other nfts like i have a ton of hesitancy on because it's so volatile i'm not trying to get burned you know what i mean i feel like already is it though here's the question though is it because if if you if you have like cyberpunks for example i don't i I don't don't collect any of these i don't know what i'm talking i'm talking based on a conversation i've had with a buddy but the cyberpunks are worth like sixty thousand dollars now or whatever it is like i even i think even the entry-level ones are worth about that but if ethereum dropped down to nothing those are going to be worthless but Ethereum is not going to drop down to nothing because if everybody's still trading Ethereum for a certain amount of money, if, if ever, let's say somebody wants to unload all their Ethereum, someone's going to buy it at whatever price, as long as it's the market value price. And that's what keeps these markets rolling, right? And I think that that's kind of the thing about this space that a lot of people fail to kind of understand. They think the whole thing's a scam, that you can't see it, blah, blah, blah. Things are worth what people are willing to pay for, it, yeah. right? Like if, if, if you came to me right now and said, I don't have any Ethereum, but if you said, I'll sell you one Ether for 300 bucks, I would buy it immediately because yeah. I know it's worth whatever, 2,500, 2,600 bucks, right? So that's how markets work. That's how the stock market works. That's how currency markets work. It's not really different. It's just new, right? Yeah, so it, it, It's new and people have a hard time adjusting to change. You know, it's, it, it's the new thing and you know, people are so used to their ways of like the regular currencies and 
physical products, they have a hard time wrapping their mind, their mind around a digital asset. But if you think about it now, I mean, how often, like you have the records in the background, so you might be an awful example for me to bring this up, but how many people are going to like a, like a Walmart or a Target to go buy like a CD? Like I'm going to buy this physical copy of like the new Kanye West or Nas album. Like not a lot of people go get this, like the vinyls, people are into vinyls right now, but like a, like a regular CD. Not a lot of people are going to do it because you have an app on your phone where you can pull it up, you can play the whole thing, and you all you have to do is unlock your phone. Yeah, but you mentioned Walmart and Target, and they're getting into the limited vinyl space. Like they're they're putting out Target exclusive vinyl, Walmart exclusive vinyl that people are buying because there's only a certain amount of those, and they have value and they go up, right? Like so, we're we're still seeing limited edition stuff on all levels doing well right now and being manufactured. Yeah, it's just I like. I mean, time will tell if enough people will come over to like the digital side of like sports collectibles. Because I mean, like I said, uh, I have a lot of physical cards. Well, I have what's left over after my dog chewed a bunch of them. But <laughs> I, I have, I have plenty of physicals, and they're all value and it's nice because you know I can, I can go into my room, I can pull it out, I can open it up, I can hold it, I can, you know, I can, you know, go, go show, show my neighbor, I can show some buddies, I can bring it with me. But you got to worry about potential damage. You got to worry about losing it. You got to like. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different yeah, same with these gotta, records. Yeah, yeah. You got to worry about like if if it gets overly hot somewhere, something could melt on it. Like there's a lot of stuff you got to worry about. Mm-hmm. In the digital world, you don't got to worry about it. Like it's it's there. You don't have to worry about damage. You don't have to worry about getting your cards graded to increase the price. It's all kind of built in, and it's all in digital space where you can access it with like a touch of your phone. So hopefully, you know, there's some people out there listening right now that might be on the fence of you know, getting into an NFT type market for sports memorabilia, sports cards, and hopefully they can hear us talking and hopefully it'll kind of give them a little push to at least go check it out. It's not going to be for everybody. There's always going to be the physical smart, uh, card collectors out there. But why can't you just do both? That's my question. Like there's and, room and for both. I, I still think that there's going to be a time where you're going to have virtual NFT shows where people are going to have, you know, digital booths set up. Like you look at everything that's happened with physical sports cards, people trading them, people having, you know, uh, different sit downs with, with their friends where they talk about them and trade, like what's to stop NFTs from having that kind of utility? And the answer is nothing. Like it's just, it's going to get there eventually where you're going to see, you know, basically digital collectible shows where you can go online and you can enter lineups and you can buy stuff and you can, I, I, I truly believe that. I think that at, at some point in time, as long as this continues to grow, it's going to grow into basically a digital manifestation of what we've seen with trading cards. So I'm waiting for that to happen. And again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to encourage anybody to get into the space. The reason I want to come on your show and why I'm happy to do this is because it's informational. Like I didn't have a lot of information when I got into Top Shot. I just took a leap of faith. And I, I feel the same way with this Panini UFC cards I, that, that, that these NFT cards I'm still taking a big leap of faith and I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that these are going to go up and these are going to be worth something, but I'm also getting into it with the clarity of mind that this could easily fall apart. Yeah. That said, you've got a company like Panini and they don't want this to fall apart. They want this to do well. And you, you saw the same thing with Top Shot. Top Shot didn't like when their market was sinking. They, they I'm sure did a market correction at some point, but they, they did what they could to make it a more user-friendly environment to, to restore faith in the people that have lost faith in Top shot because a lot of people were, were like you said when the market crashed the top shot people were getting out people were people were, were getting rid of their they were they were undercutting to a point where you could get stuff for really cheap because they had lost faith in the product and I don't think companies as big as Dapper and Panini are going to do things that are going to have people lose faith in their product because it, it's important for Panini for this to work out and that's the other thing people need, need to remember here is like people I saw somebody sent me on Twitter this is a pyramid scheme 
Panini is not <laughs> running a pyramid scheme. No. Panini wants their business to do well. They want to have, uh, they're publicly traded, are they not, Panini? Yeah, I believe they're so. Pub- yeah, so if, if you're, and Dapper are going to go public at some point. These are, these are companies that do not want to take uh, a hit to their brand by scamming people or by putting something out there that's not going to work. They want this to work. Yeah, so and that's it- the other thing you're betting on is you're betting on this company doing something and doing right by their consumer. Yeah, and if we know anything about Panini America, they don't want to just follow suit and having a run-of-the-mill product. They want to be the leader of it. Like, like Panini's sitting there, and they see what's going on with, like, NBA Top Shot and how they're doing it. They, they're planning on trying to be bigger than that. Panini is not trying to be second fiddle to anybody. They're, they're like, the only name in physical sports cards right now. They are the only name. So they want to – they feel like they have enough equity built from years of being the leader in physical collectibles that they feel like they can take over this whole NFT game. Like that's their plan. So if that's the, if that's where their mind state is, then why would they, you know, run a fucking pyramid scheme, you know, to try to screw some people over? They're not going to do that. They have too much customer loyalty to risk it. Right. But it's easy to believe that that's the case, because like you said, it's not something you can physically hold in your hand. It's, it's a digital thing. Uh, you know, it's like basically a digital token, right? Like people don't really understand that it's, it's new. But like, you, if you peel back the layers and you, you think about who's putting it out there, what their, what their stake is in it and what, what they are trying to do long-term, they don't want this to fail. So you know, that's the last thing they would want. So that's another thing you got to look at when you're, getting, when you're on the fence about getting into the space is like, what is the long-term potential? How much am I willing to risk? And am I willing to bet on this company doing right by me as a consumer? Because they want not only me to succeed as a, as a collector, they also want to succeed as a company. Yeah. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. Yeah, because if, if they put out a product that's just your regular run-of-the-mill kind of boring, there's no utility to it, there's no upside with it, then that's not going to make, you know, you or myself like, go tell our friends and family and community members, like, oh, go check this out. We're not going to feel any incentive to do it because we don't see the upside in it. You and I yeah. see it. That, that's why I was talking about it right now. We believe that. But in fact, I don't have any incentive to tell people to go to Panini's platform and buy them. I, it's something I'm going to do because I, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm interested. I want, yeah. I want to learn more about it also as somebody who covers the sport. And I think this is a future extension of sports as a whole is digital collectibles, not just the UFC, but every single sports league. I think the NFT space is going to be an important uh, function of those leagues going forward. So I, I like to get it in the, on the ground floor for that reason, just so I can be informed. Um, but if somebody said to me, hey, should I jump on Panini's platform and buy a pack? It's like, hey, nine bucks, whatever. If you want to, you can. You, you might find some, get some entertainment value out of it for now. It might have good long-term value, but I, I wouldn't, I would caution people before I would recommend them to do it because I just, I don't know enough about it yet. And I still am waiting for Panini to make certain improvements before I can have the kind of consumer confidence that I would have to tell somebody that this is something that they should get involved in. And and I'm not there yet. Yeah. I I hear you there. Now I, uh, I, a few weeks ago, I had the, the VP of marketing, Jason Haworth on the podcast. And I was talking to him about everything Panini NFT uh, like future plans, like future sports. Because, you know, with Panini, the, the difference between what Dapper did with NBA Top Shot is, like, you know, Top Shot is its own entity. They're not, you're not going to see other sports on NBA Top Shot. I mean, it's called NBA Top Shot. You're not going to have other stuff yeah. over there. But with Panini, they're so massive that they have licensing in every single sport, every single one. So, so far, all we've gotten is the NBA, because I feel it was right towards the end of the season. It was playoff time. The finals were right there. So they did the NFT first. Uh, not NFT first. They did the NBA first. Now they get into UFC, which was the UFC's first ever NFT, if I'm not mistaken, right? And next down the line, we have NFL coming. Now, when NFL drops, 
mm-hmm. that's just going to drive a whole new mass market towards the Panini America NFT space, like a monstrous market. And some of those uh, those NFL fans, they'll be sitting there like, oh, I didn't know that they had NBA. Oh, they have UFC too. Cool. I'm going to go check that out. So with having their hands in every single major sport, I feel like in time, we're going to have a really big fan base coming over, checking out the platform, and there's going to be a lot of cross-buying going on. That That's my thoughts anyway. Yeah, with Panini, I would think that that would be the case because, like you said, it's all kind of in one big pot. Like uh, when I'm on there, I'm not looking at just UFC stuff. There's also uh, all the different sports as well, NFL, NBA. And you're seeing what some of these digital um, collectibles are going for in auctions for other sports right now, and that encourages me for the UFC because I'm seeing a lot of these, you know – and the, the weird thing about the the autograph uh, blockchain is like that 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 to me is a little weird because I yeah. like to hold an autograph in my hand. I, I I can see where people are coming from on that one, but still, it's still a one of one, one of five. Like you're still getting all of these really interesting um, kind of rare digital collectibles that are selling for a good amount already on uh, on the uh, Panini platform. So that that's encouraging for me as somebody who's going to be getting into the UFC side of things uh, on the on the Panini platform. Um, but yeah, again, I'm I'm still taking a real cautious wait and see approach to it. Yeah. Um, now one cool thing of, of transparency that the, uh, that UFC did with, well, not even just UFC, but what Panini America did is you can actually go on their website and you can actually look at recent sales now, which is a new feature that they that they haven't really had yet. I think it's been on there for just a few days. So you can actually, it's, you can go in there, you can get an idea of what some stuff is selling for. Now it's not as easily accessible as what NBA top shot is where, you know, you, you click the moment and then you can go down and you can see the whole history. You can see because back months and months ago, Top Shot had it where you could click the moment and you could see like per minute every transaction that had what serial number it was, how much mm-hmm. it sold for. And you could just keep scrolling down and be like, all right, you can figure out like where your serial number range falls into like a pricing category type thing. Uh, Panini heard a lot of people from the NBA Top Shot side saying that they did not like how there wasn't a lot of transparency and they couldn't figure out how much to sell their stuff for. So the fact that they implemented a recent sales tab already makes me believe that they are listening. They hear what we're saying and they're trying to act of cor- act accordingly. So a lot of the, yeah. the moves that Panini America is doing gives me hope that like they're going to listen to us and together we can make this platform work because they want it to work. We invested a bit. We want it to work. So well, I, I do have high hopes for what Panini America is doing, but when Dapper Labs gets into the space and they have like the video highlights of, the fights. I was joking around with a buddy of mine. I was like, could you imagine if you had like the Conor McGregor moment of where like his fucking ankle snapped when he was stepping backwards in his most recent fight? And like, it'd just be like some of the brutal hits and submissions and all that stuff. If you can have a digital highlight of it, I think that'd be a really fantastic highlight to own because like, you know, the UFC, that's a brutal game. So I, I think it would be really interesting to have the, like the video clip of it. Yeah, and I spoke to one of the UFC senior vice presidents, uh, Dave Shaw, and he was very excited about the Dapper um, integration because of that reason. He said that the best highlights in sports are, are UFC highlights. He says the UFC. He says like you, you can see somebody hitting a basket in the NBA or getting a nice dunk, and that's cool. But like some of the knockouts that you see in the UFC are so conducive to these uh, moments that he he really loves the upside of the UFC's integration with Dapper in particular for that reason, and, and that that was very interesting to me to hear that there's a UFC senior vice president that really kind of gets the space. And I think that that's important going forward as well is that they, they kind of understand that he's on top shot as well and is interested in top shot. And, you know, that, that kind of thing is, I think, um, really crucial in terms of the UFC success in that space. So 
uh, that was exciting for me to, to hear as well. Yeah. Now, j- just to heart back for a second, I don't know if you can see in the background, but I have up the, the top sales. So like you were saying about how the, the autograph thing was interesting because you like to hold an autograph that's truly like, you know, something unique and having a digital autograph, it just kind of doesn't feel right. Like mm-hmm. the athlete didn't fucking sign your phone, you know? What I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I, I understand that point, but I'm just looking here. Right. And I have it pulled up. Yeah, I'm looking tr- also, I see this Kobe Bryant for $61,000. Yeah. There's a Kobe Bryant for $61,000 and it's, it's, the the basketball logo and its autograph, so it's a patch autograph. There's only one of them that was made, only one of them minted. Yeah, sixty one thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But you can that filter by, you can filter by the UFC and see by sport who the top selling guys are right now too. And so that that's kind of interesting to see too. And not, none of them are really selling for a lot yet. Like you, the the biggest sale in the history of this UFC Panini platform is a one of forty nine Khabib Nurmagomedov tie dye, which I think is probably the the most. Uh, the best thing you could probably get on the platform right now. And it's like yeah. $2,021, right? And then another tie-dye sold for $1,200, another one of 49, Khabib Nurmagomedov, of a different card. So these are starting to sell for like an okay amount of money, but I'm still not like super encouraged yet by seeing that. I still think that there's uh, a lot more growth, but uh, yeah. it is cool to see these, these different ones selling. And you can see a lot of people are buying kind of upside moments as well. Like this Hamzat Shemaev, one of 49 tie-dye selling for 349. Like that people are looking at the right at the right things, in my opinion, uh, to buy. Yeah. So that, that could be another good uh good, you know, scale to use when it comes to trying to beef up your UFC moment collection is if you look at the recent sales, try to grab some of those people that you see selling at at a premium. And another thing is so the biggest sale on the UFC Panini was was the two thousand for that Khabib. Um, the number one of 49. And then you flip it over and you look at the number one for basketball. That's sixty one thousand dollars. So I right. wonder. Yeah. I want. I wonder if the big price difference. I wonder how much of that is attributed to the fact that the NBA is such a big popular game, and the UFC. I feel like the NBA has a bigger fan base than the UFC. So I wonder if once the UFC continues to build exposure and get bigger and more popular, I wonder if that would help bring the prices up of these as well. Because we've already had NBA NFTs. We've had you know Top Shot and people are really familiar with that stuff. NBA cards have been, physical cards have been around a lot longer than what UFC physicals have been around for. So I wonder if the price of the UFC market is lower just because it's, you know, new to the realm of the sports memorabilia side. So I wonder how much of the price points are attributed to that. Yeah, I think it's very low right now. Um, And I think, again, if you want to get on the grand floor, I think that, that now is a good time to look for those moments that you think have really high upside. You can either look for moments that you think have, good upside and buy them really cheap or you can find the ones that you think have really great upside and buy those for like a good amount of money that you're going to be risking like this conor mcgregor two of 599 is like 252 dollars, right like you're taking a big leap of faith there to think that uh a card that is limited to 600 is going to be worth that long term but i still think that you are, are taking that leap of faith because you believe that something like that could be worth 10 times that amount if this picks up right like that's kind of the way that people i'm sure are looking at it yeah, so it's I'm really glad that they added the sales feature because I mean not only is it fun to look at, but you can also see a bit more of transparency. Now I mentioned this to you last week when I opened up a pack of the uh, of the UFC selects, you know, the global icons. I ended up getting a Khabib in it, and I got serial number 29 out of 199. And I showed it to you because I was like, all right, I don't know what to. Do. It's a great number, is why I showed it to you. And then you told me that like Khabib is one of the guys like you really want to collect and hold. So I'm looking here. I wanted to find it. And somebody sold their number 11 out of 199 Khabib Global Icon for $300. So 
Now they had it up in the auction, but they also had to buy it now for 300 and somebody just bought it outright for the three. So seeing, seeing it like that, I wonder in hindsight, how much could that have could be have actually fetched if they didn't have the 300 buy it now price. But even so that pack was only 15 bucks. If you could have got right. you know, a $300 card out of a $15 pack, I'm willing to take a shot on that. I'll buy a couple of them. If it means like if, if you can get like some decent money like that off like a regular card, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. I'm with you look, on that. I think that, that makes sense. Now, look, looking at it gives me a little more optimism because I, I was telling you I got that that number t- uh, 29 could be out of 199. And then someone actually brought it to my attention that that serial number 29 has a little extra sauce on it, a little extra meaning because he finished his career 29 and 0. So I'm sitting there. So if you guys are listening out there, big Khabib fans, right? If you want to top this 2000 highest sale ever, you know, come <laughs> hit me up. You know, I got number 29. That's how many wins he finished his career with. But that's no, a good, I'm telling you, that's a good card to have. You should hang on to that guy. So when I sent it, I seriously only showed it to you for two reasons. I was like, all right, it's a number 29 out of 199. Like that's rare. And the other reason was, I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure this Khabib guy is in a challenge right now. So if he's in a challenge, then he has to be good. So I'm, I'm glad that I brought that to you because then I was like, all right, like I'm not selling this because I got a bunch of offers on it, but none of them have been anything crazy. Like I, I wake up to daily offers of between 50 and 75 bucks. Then every now and then I'll get like the two or the 250, but I'm, I'm going to hold it because like I said, I'm, I'm more in on the Panini NFT space. I think that they're putting enough pieces in place to make me believe that they are working on their, uh, on their product and they're going to try to blow this thing up. So. I'm going to hold it, but this, this this will be really helpful that you can go in and you can get a good idea of like what some of the better stuff sells for at least because in these packs, you never know what you're going to get because the mint counts are so low. They're so early on that their most common moment is number to 999. Like it's under a thousand for their commons. Like that's pretty crazy. So you have a good chance to get some really good serial pulls right now. Yeah. And I think that people are... Um... Are, are going to be high on it in the future if they're going to be high on it at all. I think right now is a good time to buy if you have if you are willing to take the leap of faith. But I, I understand why people wouldn't, and I understand why some people that are a little bit more familiar with the space are eager to get in, right? So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. But uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are just pure UFC fans, don't know anything about the NFT space because the UFC and MMA haven't really gone into the space much, especially with big names like Panini and Dapper. So it's one of those things where you're very cautious at first about these kind of things because you like like we were saying, you can't really hold it in your hand. It doesn't have uh, a tangible feel to it. And people are always kind of wired to, to think that way. And, and I get that. So I'm, I'm just hoping that if people listen to this, that it's just kind of, they can gather information about this. And uh, I'm not here to push this product or anything like that. I'm, I'm here to just explain the NFT space to people that might want to learn a little bit more about it on the UFC side. Yep. Now, another thing that uh, the UFC community will probably want to hear is that when NBA Top Shot dropped, before there was any kind of marketing or advertising, um, there was a lot of people that were in the same boat as I'm sure a lot of listeners are right now. They were they were skeptical. They weren't ready to jump in and invest. But then when NBA started marketing a bit, you saw the NBA Twitter account started you know posting about Top Shot a bit. You'd have Shaq and Kenny and Charles Barkley talk about it a little bit on uh on the at the pre the after the post game show. So once the word started to get out in the NBA circles. All of a sudden, the user base started to grow like daily. Every day, people kept on coming out. The next thing you know, you got fucking Mark Cuban and you got Michael Jordan investing in the project. So I feel like with the UFC, they haven't done any semblance of any kind of marketing or they haven't even been talking about it yet. So 
So in time, maybe, yeah. and maybe that happens when the Dapper project drops and then, you know, people will maybe get turned on to the NFT space that way. But I feel like word of mouth with NFTs is like the biggest form of marketing there is. There just hasn't been a lot of that in the UFC circles as of now. But when it does, it's better to have already been in there than end up being too late to it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that try to get into NBA Top Shot today and they, they have a hard time seeing the value in it because there's pack drops aren't that common anymore, especially now being in the offseason. But, you know, the pack drops aren't all that common anymore. You can only get one per transaction and the mint counts are much higher than it was in S1. Right now on Panini, if when there's a, uh, a UFC drop, you can max buy 10 packs on pretty much any drop. So right now I feel is the time. Like It's better to be, I'd rather be early than late on a project. If you lay down a project, it really caps like what your upside is, unless you get stupid lucky in a pack drop. If you get an early enough, you can build on the cheap a collection where it could end up being crazy valuable in the future. Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel that same way about NBA Top Shot. And one cool thing about this particular project is, you know, one of the big complaints of people that follow mixed martial arts is that the fighters don't make enough money off of UFC partnerships or off of UFC advertising and stuff like that. According to a report on this particular project, there's a 50-50 split between the fighters and the UFC on this Panini project. Oh, wow. um, so it's nice to see that the, uh, the fighters are getting a good chunk of the money that comes from this particular project. I, I found that to be very encouraging as well, because then uh, I think a lot of fans can collect this with a bit of a clearer conscience. Yeah, because it's, it's almost like you're kind of getting some money to your favorite fighters if you go and collect their stuff on Panini America. That's, that, that's a really good idea. And then who knows, maybe it's only a matter of time before you have some of these UFC guys on their Twitter talking about some of the products. Because, you know, it, it, it benefits them as well if people are investing in their cards. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some fighters do it already, which is cool to see. Like Billy Quarantillo, who's a, a fighter, was very excited that he was able to get uh, his, his card which was cool. Like he actually got the physical UFC prism card and I think oh, wow. he, he was holding it in his hand. He was, he just said it was like kind of a dream come true for him because a lot of these athletes growing up, like they don't, you don't think about your goal is to get to the UFC, but once you get to the UFC and you get all these kind of cool things associated with you and your brand, I think that that's probably an extra bonus for these guys. Yeah. And it's similar in the NBA and NFL space as well. Cause it's like all of a sudden these guys, they finally make it to like the big time and now they can go play as themselves in like an NBA 2K or a Madden. It's like, oh, I can select myself. So, and, and like the, the collectible aspect of it is, is the same thing. You can be like, oh my God, like I got like my own physical sports card. Like some people think that that couldn't happen. And then what's cool with how, how Dapper is running NBA Top Shot is that like you can see they have, they have a section over there where it shows you like a certified ballers and it's like NBA players or some celebrities that have accounts over there. You can click it. You can send the athletes their own moments if you really wanted to like i know being a celtics fan i love taco fall and like his moments go for dirt cheap at the time his only moment was going for i think like 22 bucks mad people bought them just to send them to him just so they could be like i gave taco fall his own moment like like that that's not a very common thing to be able to say like oh no i just you know i i gave khabib his own card like it's fine you know what i mean yeah, you're robbing from the rich and giving to, or robbing from the poor and giving to the rich. Exactly. Giving Taco Fall his own moment. Yeah, and then then Taco the bastard, he ended up selling that same moment for like five thousand dollars. He he listed that. I was like, come on, man. Uh, all right, yeah. so we're running out of time here, so let's end it with one last question. All right. So my last question I have for you is, Canadian uh, America ended up adopting the challenge format that you see in NBA Top Shot. There's challenges now. 
Uh, they have multiple sports challenges going at the same time, which is pretty cool because you're into NBA a bit more now. So they have NBA challenges. They have UFC challenges. They're coinciding. They're going on at the same time. Have you felt any urge or like what are your what's your thought process on the Panini NFT UFC challenges? Have you decided to uh, pursue any of the challenges yet? Or are you just kind of sitting back, seeing what they're going for? Are you looking up the challenge reward in the marketplace, seeing what they go for? Because some of the challenges rewards so far are have been going for like a pretty nice price. So like, where do you stand on in the NFT when it comes to the challenges? I'm waiting on that one. And the reason why is because I think the people that are doing the challenges are kind of the people that are more familiar with the NFT space. They're like kind of the sharps. And I, I, I worry that when they get the reward, that the value is only going to hold value to them, not to like the general public just yet. I think that people are still trying to figure out exactly what a challenge reward would be. But I do think that one reason why it is, would be good to do them if, if you want to spend some money on this platform is that you're going to get a really low serial because I don't think a lot of people are completing these just yet. Like what did the, the, the Habib challenge just ended? What did it, what did it sell for? Do you know? Uh, like what I, are some I, of them selling for? Athlete, here, let's look it up. Yeah, yeah, we, we can go ahead and look it up. I check. I feel like I checked it a little while ago. I like, what, what was the serial for it? It was like, so what, it went to 166 for the Global Icons Reward Challenge. And uh, people, and I guess they've sold so far for like 500 bucks. So it probably would have been worth doing the challenge if you could get do it for under, I don't know, under under 300. If you were able to pull it for under 300, you're probably making money. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is that it's so, it's, so, uh, it's so interesting how you can go about completing a challenge. I'm putting the NFT because you have a bunch of different ways to get there, get it right. You can go into the public gallery, right. you can make an offer, someone could accept it. You could you just go and buy it now from a buy it now lowest ask, or you can go into the auction house and you just do your due diligence and you know, just fight people on the auction block and you can buy some of those challenge awards on the cheap end. Yeah, but I will say 166 is a, a lot of a, of a bigger buy in than I thought that they'd get for something like that because considering how many moments out of 199 you would have had to collect because a lot of the global icons moments or a cards rather were, were in that challenge so it seems like the buy-in for the rewards and, and the challenges was, was quite high for this which is, is is promising for those that uh are are getting into the platform yeah no i uh i was trying to figure out what the mint count was going to be I, I was comparing it to kind of like because you were saying khabib is kind of like like the lebron of the ufc kind of like the guy the guy you really want so when the uh, we we are just coming off a, a LeBron James challenge in the uh, in the NBA for Panini America, it was the Sneak and Noir challenge, and that one was minted 381 times. So I was trying to figure out, and that challenge cost about about 350 to complete the whole thing. So I was wondering how much how many times this Khabib was going to be minted because the price point of it was more it was more expensive challenge to complete. I believe when we did the podcast breaking it down, you could have gotten it done in the $400 range, which again, if you would have completed it, you're, you're making profit at the ground level because you're saying like they're selling for like 500 right now. So I actually, yeah, depending did, on what number you got, yeah. Yeah, depending on the number. But with the number being as low as it is, like the chances of getting a double digits, like this, there's a, a good chance that you could have gotten a really good serial number on it. So seeing how much it's going for now and how much the challenge would have cost, I had a notion to go for it and I chose not to just because I was like, I don't want to put $400 into it because I'm not overly familiar with the sport yet, but I know that the reward could be worth it because of who it is. So I ended yeah. up backing out and now I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass. I was like, man, I could have. Yeah. And you could have probably done it for cheaper through the public gallery just by sending offers, just cold send offers to people. And then so somebody might accept one, right? Like that's kind of like you said, the cool thing about uh, Panini uh, and, and the way that they're doing it is like, you can still make offers on stuff that's not on the open market. 
which uh, Topshot doesn't really have that functionality yet. And I think that's a cool uh, function that Panini has going for them. Yes, I, I think that I think that the two brands, they can kind of like learn from each other a bit. Like when Panini, uh, Panini NFT dropped, they had the auction feature. The auction feature is something we've been dying for on the NBA Top Shot side yeah, for a like while. Like Live Token has it now, which is cool. I used the Live Token auctions recently, which is cool for, uh, for Top Shot. Yeah, I, I checked that out as well. I like it over there. I've been dying for Top Shot to have some sort of, of auction feature. And then when the NFT space of, on the Panini side dropped, they already had auction. So I was like, oh shit, like I can kind of get it over here and see what it's all about. So I feel like they can kind of learn from each other a bit. Like, I feel like I'd like to be able to go on Top Shot, search up a moment, and I'd like to be able to make an offer on it and just see where the head's at. Maybe they do it. Open up some kind of line of communication. Maybe you can actually talk to the owner and be like, hey, like, let's do a trade. I'll trade you like this and this for that. And like, I wish that like the community was a little more open. You know what I mean? Right now, I feel like they're both kind of on lockdown. Like you can't really communicate with the person. You just got to hope that they accept your offer or on Top Shot, you just got to hope that they happen to buy your moment you have for sale. But you have to post it for sale first. On Panini, you can just make everything wide open. So it's for the public. They can just scroll through and be like, oh, I like that LeBron. I'm going to make an offer on it. So I feel like the two sides can kind of learn from each other. They can kind of take, you know, the goods on both sides, put them together. And I think it, it could increase like the value of both platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's going to be a learning experience for both of these platforms is like looking at what the other one's doing well and trying to adopt that onto their own platform. I think Panini has a lot more to get to gain from watching what Dapper is doing than vice versa, but uh, I still think that they can certainly coexist. I mean, they're kind of different. Like I, when, when Panini announced this deal with the UFC, I reached out to Dapper because I was like, does this mean that you're not doing a deal with them anymore? Since it said like that usually the UFC cuts exclusive deals, but the difference is that Panini's it's a still photo as opposed to a digital highlight. So that's kind of where they're differentiated and why the UFC can kind of get money from both pots. Yeah. And like I said, that's why I think that there's a market for both sides. Maybe like the still image with the serial number on it, maybe that'll be more appealing towards the, the physical sports card collector. Cause it's like, all right, I have this Khabib in real life. Uh, now I can buy the digital asset of it where it, it's more rare because it's more it's a serial number like there's less of them out there i can own the physical and the digital some people could be like all right that's a really cool aspect that i like then with top uh with top shot and what dapper does is it's just a whole different thing like having the video clip and like you were saying i totally agree that ufc will probably have some of the better highlight clips you could have whether you're familiar with the sport or not like if you could own a moment of someone just getting like choked out or punched in the face and knocked out like that'll be some interesting stuff to have and be able to show off in your collection because you know there's a lot of like digital picture frames now there's different ways to display your nft in your home or in your office i know i partnered up with a couple of projects where they're going to be sending me like little digital frames where i can have my nfts on it so i can have you know top shot moments playing in the background in the studio or when when the ufc gets their dapper deal done and that's live you can have fighting moments just like playing in your house like in, in a picture frame or whatever the digital thing is so there are ways for the people out there that are listening that are just out on the digital form there are ways to showcase your digital asset in real life but this the nft space is so new you need to give it a chance to grow yeah or don't give it a chance right like it's one of those <laughs> yeah, you things where you, like you, you don't you don't need to buy it like you don't need to buy it and like a lot of people are very against nfts and think that they're gonna fail and all that like that's cool more power to them like maybe they maybe they're right right like i i can't yeah. i can't force people to to enjoy the same things as i do or or collect the same things as i do it's so whatever it's teach their own you know like i'm sure people think records are stupid you can listen to it on your phone like you said you can listen yep. to an album right like why, why do you need to hold a record in your hand and put like an old technology and listen to you know there's still people buying cassette tapes, right? Like it's, 
people collect different stuff. I, I feel like we're wired to collect stuff. It's like, you know, it, it's part of like kind of our evolution. But, you know, Dana White says like the, the thing about fighting is it's kind of universal. It's in our DNA. I think collecting is in our DNA because in, in like the Stone Age, basically, we were wired to be hunter gatherers, to, 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 to provide for our family, to collect things, to, to try to find things that are of value to um, us and our family. And, and, you know, I think that that is something that is genetically wired within us is to collect things. Um, so I think that that's one of the things about this that has long-term potential is that we're kind of all genetically kind of wired to want to collect these little things, whether again, it's records or NFTs or, or physical sports cards, physical comics, people like to have things that they can collect. And it's, it's a fun thing to do in your spare time. It's a fun hobby. And I think that everybody, um, can get healthy, um, benefits from having a hobby. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. And and Aaron and I aren't sitting here saying like you need to go download Panini Direct right now. You need to buy these fighters because it's going to make you a ton of cash. Like that's not what we're trying to say. We're trying to say that that the Panini NFT space and what Dapper Labs is doing, it's an option. All right. So if you're a physical collector, you don't need to get into the digital side. You may think it's stupid and more power to you if you do. But if you are interested in checking it out, we're just trying to make it bring a little light to it to help you to help you decide what you want to do. You don't have to do any of the things that we're suggesting, but if you're yeah, interested, I, I thought top shot was tremendously stupid before I started using it. Like I thought it was, I thought the same thing as everybody else. I thought like, you can't, why would you get a card that you can't hold in your hand? You look at it on your phone. I can get this highlight off the internet. If I want to watch the highlight on YouTube, I can, all of those thoughts were crossed my mind for sure. So yeah. I, I like, I understand where people are coming from here uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, when I first made an account on NBA Top Shot, I forgot where I even heard about NBA Top Shot from, but it was very early on. I think I heard it on, on a podcast. I think someone made mention of it. And I checked it out, right? I went on the website. I went through the process of making an account. And then as I made an account, I saw that it, you couldn't connect it to, like, your PayPal. It was, like, all cryptocurrency-based. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, what the fuck is a cryptocurrency? Like, I'm not going to yeah, bother right. making an account if I can't even figure out how to pay for it. And then in my head, I was like, why would I, why would I open up a pack of these clips that I could just watch on YouTube. I could save the video of it to my phone and I could watch it whenever I want. Why would I spend money on that and then sell it for a currency? I don't even know how or what I didn't even know what it is. Like, why would I even bother? So when I made an account over there, I backed out of it. I made the account. I was like, I'm not, I'm not wasting my time. And I left it. And then I revisited it when it started getting a little more traction. And I'm seeing these sales for like 200 K on fucking. Yeah, imagine, how much imagine how much money you left on the table by doing that. Right. Like that's the scary thing about it is like, had you, what, what month was it when you first went onto it? Like November or something? I, I think when I first made an account over there, it was like very early December. And when I saw it, yeah. I was like, I was like, it's, I was like, it's dumb. I even mentioned it to my wife. I was like, yeah, I was like, it's people apparently are buying these these digital highlights you could just get on youtube i was like i wonder if i could just save the video on my youtube and sell it to somebody like why wouldn't somebody buy that if, if when they just buy it on dapper it's the same thing so i ended up backing out of it and like i said come like the february huge spike i was absolutely kicking myself in the ass i was like yeah fuck, like what a mistake that was i should i should have just bought in so if anything you guys can take that information you can try to use my you know my heartbreak and you can try to learn from it. You know what I mean? I suffer yeah. pain for all you guys. Like, like I said, I'd rather be a little early on a project than late. It happened with, with Top Shop for me. It happened with the, uh, I don't know how into other, other NFT projects you are, but uh, they have the, the Bored Apes Yacht Club. It's a little avatar project of an ape. 
those things sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. When they first came out, I thought it was the dumbest shit in the world. I was like, I'll never yeah. have, I'll never have a cartoon monkey as my fucking avatar. I don't, I don't see the appeal in it. And now I'm sitting here today. I'm seeing people turn down offers for like uh, 25 uh, Ethereum, and I'm just like, oh my god, Jeez. like it's it, the it's NFT space. Yeah, <laughs> like it, yeah, mm-hmm. dude, it, it's a roller coaster ride for sure. You never know if the track is built where you're going or if, if you're going to crash and burn. But at the least, I'll at least say it's fun to check out some projects. And I think Panini America and Dapper Labs, they have the name recognition. They have the equity. They have, you know, the fan base. They've been around for a long time. I'm confident in throwing my hat in those two rings and seeing what happens with it. Um, I exercise way more caution on other NFT projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these NFT projects have been worthless. Like there's, I'm sure more have failed than have succeeded, right? So you hear these stories and that's fine. And, you know, like I always say to my dad, my dad goes, well, Bitcoin's a scam. Like he's, you know, a lot of people think Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I'm not a cryptocurrency guy. I don't hold cryptocurrency. So, uh, but I, I say to him like, well, if you bought Bitcoin for $7,000 and now it's worth $37,000 and you sell it for $37,000, where's the scam? You just made $30,000. Like yeah. who's being scammed, right? Like, so I, you know, I always say people are just, they'll pay what they think something is worth for something. That's that. And that's its value, right? Like, yeah. That's how value is assigned is what, whatever somebody will pay for it. Yep. We're the ones that set the marketplace. I feel like some people don't realize that it's, it's not like the U S dollar. It's what, you know, what people are willing to pay for it and what the cryptocurrency has, what you can do with it. Like, you know, with the Ethereum, you can work on all these other NFT projects. And a lot of it is based on that cryptocurrency alone, which makes it so the price of that crypto is, you know, it's going up because people need it to, you know, mint their, their NFT projects and try to make some money off of that. It's just, it, it's a crazy world we live in. I know I got made fun of because probably three or four years ago, I was, I was on Robinhood, the Robinhood stocks app. So, mm-hmm. I was just looking in the cryptocurrency tab because like, they just added it. I had like $5 in my wallet. I was just like, you know what? I'll buy this, you know, this dumb uh, cryptocurrency to see what happens. It was Dogecoin. It was stupid cheap. It was like mm-hmm. a fraction of a yeah. fraction of a fraction of a penny. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll buy $5 worth. What is it going to hurt? And then three months ago, maybe four months ago, I checked it and it went, I had like, I think 13 or 1400 shares of it at like a fraction of a penny. I checked it and all of a sudden my my account valuation was over $2000 because it got all the way up to like 75 cents a share and I had so many shares of it and I was just like oh my god like that $5 just turned into like fucking 2k like yeah, that's like a dream come true yeah and then of course I had the moment where I was like man like why didn't I just fucking put $20 in why didn't I put $100 yeah, right. in uh, exactly yeah <laughs> but but it can be tough to invest when it's so new to you which mm-hmm. I think lends credence to what's going on with Dapper and Panini America it's so new uh, it can be hard for you to make the commitment to it. But Aaron, I have to thank you for coming on the Crypto Balls podcast today. We've had this one circled for a while. It's great to finally have you on, shed some light on NFTs and UFC in general. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can follow you, your Twitter handle, you know, where, where they can keep up to date with what you got going on. Sure. It's uh, at Aaron Bronsted on Twitter. If you want to try to spell that, just go to the Crypto Ballers TS account. I'm sure that he will tag me in it. And then you don't need to worry about that. Uh, and tsn.ca slash UFC for a lot of my work. And uh, a lot of that stuff is linked on my Twitter account. So Twitter, my Twitter account is kind of a hub for where you can find any of my stuff. So thanks for having me on. I'll, let's do this again when Dapper launches their uh, UFC vertical. Absolutely. We'll have you on. And because you came on, you were such a good sport. You did this with me. I just gifted you your first Pascal Siakam moment over on top shot so now you got one, one of the raptors over there look at that so helping each other 
<laughs> helping each other out. Thanks for coming on, man. It was, it was my pleasure. And uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you over on Twitter. Yes, sir. Always happy to uh, have you bounce different guys off of me in terms of uh, their, their potential value on, uh, on guys and gals, of course, uh, yeah. on the uh, Panini UFC platform. All right. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for coming on.